Well, last week, I hope Mike went through how God's creation, His new creation in Paul, produced a guy who had this enduring obedience. You know, there's people in the world today that, in our culture, that say that, you know, you can follow Christ and pretty much live the way you were before you started following Christ. That, it, that nothing's going to change. There, in fact, there's a guy who's a false teacher up in North Carolina who says that when you start following Christ, nothing really changes in you. The real you really comes out. That's what he preaches. And people flock to that. They like that. It's part of our self-esteem culture. The psychotherapy culture that says we're all good people. It goes against what Scripture says. That the heart is deceitfully wicked. None of, listen, God isn't about revealing some deep inner you <laughs> that is really good that's covered up by bad stuff. No. At the very core of who we are, we're tainted. We're tainted. We come into the world tainted. And, and through constant barrages of messages that say, you know what, we're all really good. We all really know what's good. We all are good people. And we just got to find our truth, what works for us. That's the message of the world. God says, no. In Christ, we're new creations. It's a complete tear down and rebuild. And, and you should look different. If there's no difference in your life, 15, 20 years after you supposedly have a transformation in Christ, if you're the same 15 or 20 years later, then you probably didn't really have a real transformation of Christ. You didn't have a real encounter with Christ. I'm not talking about little mistakes. I'm talking about the direction of your life. And Paul was a guy who had this enduring obedience. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was... Shipwrecked. He went through all these things, and yet he continued to want to preach the gospel to everybody. He had this enduring obedience. So hopefully Mike went through that. But we also saw a biblical obedience. Paul actually preached what the prophets and the law said should be preached, that there was a suffering Messiah that would come. But most of the people that called themselves sons of Abraham didn't buy into that. In fact, there's a lot of people today that don't buy into that who call themselves sons of Abraham. But you're not sons of Abraham because of bloodline. You're sons of Abraham because of what? Because of faith. Because of faith. And, and the sovereignty of God in your life to bring you to Himself in your response. Paul was a true descendant of Abraham. And finally, uh, we saw last week, hopefully, that he produced... And Paul, this evangelistic obedience, this, this inner push to want people to have the same thing he had. Paul was passionate about turning every obstacle into an opportunity for the gospel. He saw when God would take him here to this place, even though it would look terrible from an outsider's perspective, Paul saw it as just a new place to share the gospel. What about you? What about when you have a tire that goes flat on your car and you have to go sit at a place to get it repaired? Do you see that as an opportunity to be a witness or an inconvenience in your life? Think about that. How many times are you going along in your day and God redirects you somehow, some way, 
And instead of looking with eyes that see, okay, God's got me here for a reason, you're thinking, man, why do I have to be here right now? Paul didn't do that. He had this passionate evangelistic obedience to the Lord where he saw those situations. Well, remember where he is. He's in uh, Caesarea. And look at the things that have happened. The, the Sanhedrin tried to find something wrong. The Pharisees stood up and says, there's nothing wrong with this guy. He hadn't done anything wrong. He just believes in the resurrection. Claudius Lysias comes in. He, he goes, I can't find anything to write about this guy. Felix goes, I don't know what's wrong. What he, he's done nothing deserving of death or imprisonment. And now Festus and Agrippa do the same thing. Paul did not violate the law. He wasn't leading an insurrection. He had done nothing but care about the gospel. And so this week, as we look at what's going to happen in the shipwreck, we're going to see Paul's journey to Rome and how God used the Roman government to accomplish His purposes in getting him there. God used something that we wouldn't have thought to use to get Paul to Rome because He wanted Paul to go testify in Rome. He wanted him to see the Christians there. He wanted him to write letters from there as a base of operations, and he did that. And so we're going to look at Acts 27, 1-44, through and, but I want you to see something here that I didn't really pick up on as many times as I've read through this, that Paul's journey to Rome is very symbolic of our journey throughout life. I mean, like, uh, God takes Paul on this ship that's destined to go down. Is our world destined to go down? Yeah. It's destined to go down. Just like the ship. And when Paul speaks out, initially, people reject him. But throughout the process, there are some that listen to him. They give him the respect that he, he should have as a servant of the Most High God. Do you guys ever feel like you're disregarded when you start talking about Jesus to somebody? Or you start talking about the Bible to somebody? Well, you're in good company. That's, that's what Paul was doing. But this, make no mistake, chapter 27 is such a detailed account of this experience Paul had it's probably one of the most detailed accounts of anything Paul experienced. In fact, people study this ship uh, going through this, uh, this process of the shipwreck for, for all the things that it tells about the nautical uh, experiences back then. It's so detailed. And God has it that detailed for us for a reason. So as we look at this text today, what, what I would like you to do is think about the storms you go through and the storm we're going through as a world, right? And I want you to think about anchors because they would throw anchors out. And I didn't realize this until you started doing a little studying. They would throw anchors out off the front to keep the bow pointed in the right direction. And, and so the, these are some anchors that we have that we can kind of throw out in our own life. And the first one is this, is that as, as we go through the storm, God anchors us, one, with His presence in our life. That's one of the anchors that we should be holding on to when we go through any storm, really, is God's presence in our life. 
Is his presence there? I talk to guys all the time. I don't feel his presence. I don't see his presence. And I want to talk about that and look at, at, at how Paul experienced that. Second is, uh, the second anchor is God's purpose for our life. That was an anchor for Paul. He knew where he was going. He knew why he was going there. And, and that was an anchor for him as they went through this. That was what inspired the hope that he had. The third anchor is God's provision for Paul and God's provision for us. Have, have you guys ever gone through a storm in a life? How many guys in this room have gone through a storm and God got you through it? Okay. How many guys have gone through a second storm and God got you through it? Right? How many of us forget about the time God got us through the storm? At least we're honest. His provision, yeah. His provision is an anchor that that we hold on to. Man, he's done this. He's got we will get through this. We'll get through it. God will get us through this. He is sovereign. And Paul, that was an anchor for Paul. And the last anchor is God's proven reliability in his fulfilled promises. God's proven reliability. Is our God faithful? Has God throughout time proved himself over and over and over? Why then, when we go through a storm, do we act like all of a sudden God is not going to hold his promises anymore? You see, our issue is that we think his promises include, um, you know, a, a Rolls Royce in our driveway and a fat bank account. Big house, what? Calm waters. Yeah, yeah, and calm waters. That that's that that's not his plan for us. Why are you surprised when these fiery trials come upon you? So, as we look at this, we're gonna we're gonna go through this and kind of work through it and just make observations as we go through chapter twenty-seven. But but I want you to think about those four anchors and in, in, in verses one two. Through 23, we're going to look at this first one. But it's remember, this is a narrative. It's just a story. And as we look at this first anchor of, uh, of how God anchors us with His presence, I want to remind you of a few verses. Okay, In James chapter 4, this is really key, guys. James chapter 4, verse 8. James writes, Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. You wonder why you don't experience His presence in your life? Are you drawing near to Him? Are you trying to fix it on your own? Because a lot of times what I find, we as men, man, we look for any place except God when we first have an issue. We're calling our friends who are experts in the field. We're trying to find networks some way. And I'm a, I'm a networker's networker, man. I, I, I'm a networker. And so, how often do we just fall to our knees? God, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to You. I'm trusting You. Show me, Father. But He says, draw near to Me, and I'll draw near to You. Deuteronomy 31, He says, Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who, get, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
Why, why is this being told to Moses? Why is this being told to the people of Israel? Because God told them, I want you to go in and take the land. And it could be scary. You're going to face numbers. But you know what He told them in Leviticus? He said, five of you are going to put a hundred to run. A hundred are you going to put ten thousand to run. You ever heard of a guy named Gideon? <laughs> Took 300 guys and wiped out 100,000 guys? How would you like those odds? Do you feel like that sometimes? Like you've you got 300 going up against 100,000? And so, God's Word says it. Jeremiah 1, 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Isaiah 41.10. These are all just verses talking about God being with us. Paul knew every one of these verses, except for the James verse. It, had, it hadn't been written yet. But all these other verses from the Old Testament, he knew. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. He goes on in verse or chapter 43. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. You guys ever had it here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. These are all verses that Paul knew. He knew God was his anchor and his presence was with him. And so we're going to see that in the text. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Behold, I'm with you always till when? The end of the age. I think we forget that. So let's look at starting in uh, 27 verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Paul and other prisoners. Probably the other prisoners that were with Paul were condemned men who were going there to die. The emperor would, you know, would often bring people in for entertainment who were condemned to die to go out into the arena and fight the animals. It's called the circus. And so there were other prisoners. Now, um, the Augustan cohort was a special group of, um, of, of Caesar's troops. And these they, they had special duties. They were like, sometimes they would be spies, sometimes they'd be special couriers, and, and sometimes they would have special tasks. Like they would uh, have a political task, or in this case, they were guarding the grain that would be coming to uh, Rome or going to Roman places to feed Roman troops because they were bringing grain there, that was important. Well, if you were in the military, you know, what do you want to strike? You want to strike a supply line. So they're always at risk of having people try to hurt their supply chain. And so the Augustan cohort was a special group of the emperor's soldiers. And notice again, this is a centurion named Julius. God wants us to know his name. He wants us to know His name, so He recorded it for us in Scripture. And so, verse 2 says, And embarking on a ship of Adramitium, 
which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now, yeah, I know. It's a lot. Well, uh, Adramedium was a northern port of, of Asia over there. Okay. It was a northern por- uh, part of the Asia uh, area where they were. And, and this ship was a coastal vessel. It was called a port hopper. Basically, you had a couple of different kinds of ships. You had the ships that would go uh, right along the coastline from port to port to port. And though those ships were not very sturdy, they weren't built for going out on the open seas. And so they get on this ship and they're going to these places. And uh, notice he says we. So who's who's writing? Luke. So you got Luke and Aristarchus. Aristarchus, by the way, is mentioned in several other places in Scripture. He was a close friend of Paul's. He so you got Luke and Aristarchus. Now, do you guys know any penal system ever that would allow you to bring your friends when you're going to appeal a case? Think about that. Why do you think Festus let him take Luke and Aristarchus with him? Have you ever even thought about that? Is that God's provision, first of all, for... Because what was Luke? He was a doctor. So... One, they may have been slaves or Paul's servants or seen as Paul's slaves or servants, so they would allow them to go. Or two, maybe Festus, because he knew Paul deep down was innocent, he gave him more liberty. And we're going to see something he told Julius, allowed Julius to give him some liberty when they got to one of the ports. And so, verse 3 says, The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly. Now that right there says a lot. Festus had told him something, guys. Julius treated Paul kindly. He gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now, the, the Greek term there for cared for is a medical term. So Paul was sick here. Paul was sick. He might have been sick. Uh, it, it, it talks about a refreshing. Your, your, your translation may say refreshed. But it's, a, it's, a, it's helping somebody who is ill. But guys, we see another good centurion. Do we see any bad centurions in Scripture? No. Isn't that amazing? In every case where you hear about a centurion, they're always put in a positive light. They, they were men of integrity. They were just men. They were proven leaders. They were caring men. Throughout the New Testament, they were military leaders. Rome did a great job of picking military leaders. Terrible job of picking governors. <laughs> governors were political. But the military leaders were good guys they still are yeah and so verse 4 it says and putting out to sea from there we sailed under the lee of cyprus because the winds were against us 
Okay, the normal would the normal route would have been closer to the shore, but they were trying to kind of get away from the winds a little bit and get protection from Cyprus, from the land. You know how land will protect you? Sometimes it'll give you a, a little bit of a break from the winds. That's what they were trying to do. Now, uh, what you need to know, this is about mid-August in the year. And, and you could sail from like mid-March to mid-August with pretty much not a lot of problems because most time... You could see storms coming, you could go around them, but during the time from mid-August till about mid-November, it was called the treacherous time. I mean, it's still sailable, but it's like rolling dice. You, you, you may get caught up in a storm or you may not, but from mid-November to mid-March, nobody sailed the, the Mediterranean. They didn't do it. And so they, they would settle for the winter. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Verse 5 says, The next day we put in at Sidon... I'm sorry, verse 5. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So this ship, Alexandria, was the main port for Egypt. And Egypt was the main grain provider for Rome. So they get on this ship that's a big, huge, honking grain ship. Now the big, huge, honking grain ships weren't very steerable. They had one big mast. They were one big ship. They had two paddles that controlled. They didn't even really have a rudder. So those ships go out there and their main purpose is to get... This is not a passenger ship, by the way. It's not set up for guys. It is a big grain ship. And 276 people are on board this ship. So that's prisoners, crew, and soldiers. And we know there's a centurion, so if there's a centurion, how many soldiers are on there at least? 100, right? And so... (laughs) So that's the ship that they find and they uh, get on that ship. Verse 7, it says, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Now, now, who's in charge of the wind? Who's directing the ship? Do you ever feel like God's not directing our ship in America? You get a little, a little upset with what's going on and you forget who directs the winds? They were having a hard time. They're trying to escape. The pilot and the navigator on the ship, they're the ones who are trying to figure all that stuff out and God's just sitting up there watching His plan unfold. He knows exactly what He's going to do. And so, verse 8 says coasting along it with difficulty we came to a place called fair havens near which was the city of lycia now fair havens was not a great place it was not a place you wanted to spend a lot of time um it was not a good port city it was boring not a lot to do there and not a place you really wanted to spend the winter and so um nobody really wanted to be stuck there 
So it says in verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. And the fast, guys, is Yom Kippur. It's, it's the Day of Atonement. That, that time is about uh, early October. It's usually late September, early October. So what's coming up? They're getting that they're at the last part of the treacherous season, the time getting into the no sale season, and they know it. And so Paul in verse 10 says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul stands up and warns them. You know why? Because Paul had been in three shipwrecks. Did you know that? Over in 2 Corinthians, he says, I've been shipwrecked three times. That's why, guys, when you when listen, when you read scripture, we, we blow over stuff and we don't even pay attention. Paul was in a ship, three shipwrecks. Man, you talk about unlucky. Or God was trying to get in his attention, maybe. I don't know. Maybe God was just taking him through it to grow him. But three shipwrecks. So he stands up and he says, guys, I don't want to be in a fourth shipwreck. Now, what kind of rights did Paul have? Well, he was a prisoner. But he obviously felt moved by God to stand up and say something, and he did. He warned them. Now, guys, this picture of this ship here and this weather and everything, this voyage is a picture... It's a picture of us. It's a picture of our world. you got a ship of prisoners, a ship of condemned men. They're all guilty. <laughs> They're headed to judgment. But on board is an ambassador of the king saying, don't keep going that way. Don't keep going. And that's where we are. We, we, are, we are on a ship going down. A, a ship full of condemned men. Are we, are we standing up saying, don't keep going that way? Don't keep going that way? That's what Paul does. He says, guys, we can't go this way. I've been in a shipwreck before. You guys been in a shipwreck? I have. I want to warn people. And so, verse 11 it says, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. The centurion listened to the experts. Yeah. Paul's disregarded because the experts disagree with him. That's the same for us today. No different. All these people that say they know this or know that. And verse 12 says the majority said they wanted to sail to Crete. They said it's going to be a better port. Crete had more to do. It'd be a better place to bed down for the winter. So they went. Verse 13, it says a gentle south wind lured them into sailing. You got to be aware of those gentle south winds because it lured them into sailing. But what happened? Well, verse 14, a nor'easter, <laughs> a nor'easter called a Uraquillo. Um, actually, it's, it's not your Aquilo. It's made up of two words. 
euros, which is a Greek word, and then a Latin word, aquilo, and it gives the word eurekalon, and the eurekalon is a north wind. It's like a hurricane or a typhoon. That's what happened. South wind leads them out. They get caught up in a hurricane. Isn't that how life is? You get going along. You think things are great. Got that gentle south breeze, and then boom, a hurricane. Marriage falls apart. Money falls apart. Whatever, your job fails. Whatever it is, we get hit. And now you aren't driving life. Life's driving you. (laughs) You go into survival mode. And verse 15, it says, And when the ship was caught and couldn't face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boats. Here's what they did. The ship was driven out to sea. It's out there floating. And this big honking ship that is, is really has no way to really steer good is caught out there. It's dark. There's no bearings. They're in the grips of darkness. And just like us, only God knows where they are. Only God knows what they're going through. So what they did is they start preparing. They secured the dinghy. That's what it was talking about with the boat. It says they, they, they basically, they secured the ship. They put cables around under the hull to hold the ship together. It was bad. Things were getting really bad. You know how you prepare for a hurricane when, when you know a hurricane? These guys were batting down this ship. They were kind of getting everything ready. And it says they were afraid of Sirtis. Sirtis. You go, what is Sirtis? Well, if you do a little research, Sirtis, the great Sirtis is the graveyard of ships. It's ships that get grounded on sandbars and just beat up and lost. They'd lost hope. All hope was gone. And guys, that's exactly when God surfaces his people. So Paul gets up. He stands up. Verse 21. Paul stands up since they had been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> That's so human, isn't it? I tried to tell you guys. We should have stayed at Fairhavens. He says, You should have listened and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. He says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Paul says, I'm a spokesman of the one true God. And I I know, I know that we're going to be okay because he told me, take heart. Don't worry. God was with him. He experienced His presence. God manifested His presence to him. And it encouraged him. And so, verse 24, Paul says, He said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. God had a purpose for Paul. He was taking Paul to Rome for a reason. You know, Exodus 19.6, Moses was told by God, Tell my people, you will be a kingdom of of priest and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people. Paul knew that. Jeremiah 1 and 1 5, before I formed you in the womb, 
I knew you. I had a purpose for you. I consecrated you. You were going to be my prophet, Jeremiah. Oh, Joshua. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Paul. Remember when Paul met Ananias? He is going to be my spokesman to kings and leaders. He will suffer much. So Paul knew his purpose. And guys, you know, everybody knows Romans 8.28. It's one of the first verses you learn. All things work together for the good of those just because they're Christians, right? No, all things work together for the good of those who are what? Who are called according to His purpose. His purpose. His purpose for our life is an anchor. 1 Peter 2.9 says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You have been called out of darkness to be sent back and proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. So that is our purpose. Listen, our purpose is to be God's representatives to those around us. God said, don't be afraid, Paul. I'm taking you. I'm sending you to Caesar. And I'm giving you all that's with you. Hey, has God has a, had a habit of blessing people when Christians are around Him? Remember this guy named uh, Laban? In, in Genesis 30, 27, Laban told Jacob, Jacob, I've learned from God that the Lord blessed me because of you. The Lord blessed me because of you. What about another guy, Joseph? You know this guy named Joseph? With Potiphar? Did God bless Potiphar because Joseph was there? Joseph hadn't done anything wrong. And so just the presence of a godly man brought favor, brought favor to Potiphar's house. And then the jailer when he got in the jail. Listen, God's setting up himself to display himself through his servant Paul on this ship. He wants to use you to display Himself too. Your purpose is to be a representative of the Most High God and to exalt Him. And so, verse 25 says, He says, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some kind of island. you got to love that. How could he say that? Well, because he didn't just have the anchor of God's presence and His purpose. He also had the anchor of God's provision in his life. Paul had seen his provision over and over and over and over. <laughs> and he knew the words. He knew uh, what God said in His Word in Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be dismayed, for I'm with you wherever you go. Psalm 112. David talking about God's people. He's not afraid of bad news. Do you know how many people live in fear in our culture? God's man isn't afraid of bad news. His heart is firm. You know why? Not because of consequences, because his trust is in the Lord. 
His heart is steady, the psalm says. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumphs over his adversaries. Paul knew that. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace. This is a great verse. You ought to memorize this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock you can be anchored to. Paul knew that. And then he says, he's saying, listen, in, in this uncertain world we live in, i got a message for you. I believe in my God. Do you believe in our God? Can you stand up and say to the world around you, it doesn't matter what happens in the stock market. It doesn't matter what happens in our government. I believe in my God. He's got me here. And I'm His spokesman. I'm here to represent Him. And I've seen Him provide. But our ship's going down. (laughs) But we're going to live. Now listen. Nobody wants to believe that. Nobody wants to hear that. Verse 27. He says, When the fourteenth night had come, two weeks there in this storm, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. Sailors heard the, the surf pounding on this little tiny island called Malta. Now listen, from Cauta to Malta is 476 miles. And they've done navigational uh, charting and figured out winds and, and stuff. And they said it would take about 13 days to get there. And this is the 14th day. The navigational data authenticates Scripture, guys. But listen, think about they're in the middle being driven by wind. They, they can't see. They don't. And God sovereignly brings them to this tiny little island 476 miles away. That's God's sovereignty. Verse 28 says they did a sounding. 20 fathoms. That's 120 feet. Then another sounding. 90 feet. 15 fathoms. So they're, they're getting close to the land. And you go, well, that's a good thing, right? No, it's not a good thing when you can't see. <laughs> yeah, not in a big boat. And so verse 29, they dropped four anchors to help point the bow to the shore. Verse 30 said the sailors panicked. Why? It was scary. They knew something was about to happen. So the sailors come up with this plan. They're going to pretend like they're putting anchors out and they're getting out of there. They're going to get in the little boats and make make a run for it in boats that they can try to get on the land without dying. Verse 31 and 32, Paul stands up again. Unless they stay, we're all going to die. Paul trusted God, but he was practical too. He knew that without the sailors, they weren't going to make it. And he stands up and says, trust me or trust them. You know, you can get in the little ships with them or you can trust me and stay on here. And the sailors trying to get in there, you know what the soldiers did? They cut away the dinghies. The centurions now listen to Paul. The people that disregard him are now saying, hey, we need to listen to this guy. Verse 33 and 34 At this point, Paul encourages them to eat. 
He's now leading the ship. Think about this. He's the prisoner who's now leading the ship. They're listening to Him. Why? Because He serves the one true living God. And He says, He says, listen, verse 34, take some food. It'll give you strength for not a hair is to perish. You know where that comes from? 1 Samuel 14, 45. Talking about Jonathan. Jonathan had taken some food to eat. He had taken some honey. And Saul said, I'm going to kill whoever eats. We're supposed to fast. Found out it was Jonathan. And the people rose up and said, not a hair of his head's going to perish. They said, they ransomed Jonathan so he did not die. Second Samuel says the same thing. Not a hair of your head. First Kings 1, the same thing. Paul's just saying, hey, God's in control. The ship may go down, but we're not going to go down. Verse 35 says, He took bread, gave thanks to God, broke it, and then began to eat. Sounds like they're having communion, doesn't it? Verse 36, they were all encouraged by Paul's leadership. It's 276 people on the ship. And then when they ate, they lightened the ship. They began throwing the wheat overboard. So it would ride higher on the waves so it wouldn't go into the land quite as hard. Verse 39 says they didn't know where they were. They did not recognize the land. They didn't know anything. But God knew everything. Verse uh, 40 says the bow struck the sandbar and it began to splinter the ship. Verse 41, it says, striking the reef, they ran the vessel aground, it stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Verse 42, the soldiers wanted to kill Paul to keep the prisoners from escaping. Why was this? What happened to the soldiers if the prisoners escaped? They died. They died or they got their sentence, whatever it was. They didn't want that, so they're going to do it. But what happened in verse 43? It says, Julia stepped in. He wanted to save Paul. He knew Paul was the key to survival. He saw. Listen, this guy recognized leadership. He saw leadership in Paul. When a prisoner stands up and is directing the ship, he's got confidence that Julius hadn't seen this guy, because Julius, you think Julius was afraid? You bet he was afraid. Julius wasn't no sailor. He was a soldier. I can tell you from personal experience, I spent six months on a ship. I was on a ship in the middle of the Pacific. We were pitching about 11 degrees. Water, it was a big ship. Water's coming up over the bow. Everybody was puking their brains out. And we were thinking we're going to die. And I'm like, I'm not a sailor. I'm a Marine, man. I just, I just want to get in my plane and go. But we couldn't even take off. It was so bad. Julius knew something about Paul. He saw something in Paul. He knew he was the key to survival. Paul so affected that ship, guys, Everyone's safe because of his ministry. Verse 44 says, and the, re- that the, sh- the 
Well, let me go back to 43. Wishing to save Paul, he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. Here's the key, verse 44. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was, all were brought safely to land. Was God's word fulfilled that he told Paul? Yeah. It was fulfilled. Listen, Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Isaiah 55, verse 10, As the rain and snow comes down from heaven and does not return, but there, uh, but waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so all my Word will go that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Guys, God uses predictive prophecy to establish His divine authority. He's done that from the beginning. God says it will happen, then it happens, and that convinces that God is who He claims to be and His Word can be trusted. The greatest proof of scriptural authority is the fulfillment of predictive prophecy. So... As you think about our ship going down, you think about your role in that. As we go out today, are you experiencing God's presence in your life? Think about your life. Am I experiencing His presence? I talk to guys all the time who say, I don't experience God's presence. I don't experience God's presence like you do. I I don't understand why I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. What, what is the key? What does it look like to draw near to God? What does it look like when you draw near to Him? It, it means you've got to be in His Word. You've got to spend time with Him. And it's not just drawing near to His Word and spending time with Him. It's, it's then being a part of that Word being fulfilled. If you're doing your own agenda and asking God to bless it, that's not drawing near to God. And, and, and I see it over and over in people who, well, God's just, I don't know what God wants. That's because they're trying to force God into their agenda and following God's agenda. So, do you know God's purpose for your life? His primary purpose for every one of us is to exalt Christ. But every one of us has a specific purpose. For me, I know what my purpose is right now. It's to do SWAT. It's, it's to be connected with Dawa in India and help train people over there. It's to do firearms and train law enforcement guys and use that as a vehicle for sharing the gospel with them. Uh, those are things specific that God has made clear to me. Things I couldn't have arranged, but He arranged them and He's given me a, a vision to do that. But what's your purpose? Only you know. He's given us all different skills, all different experiences, and He's calling us each to a specific purpose. If we don't know that, we get, we're like a ship drifting in the night. So know your purpose. Are you looking to God for His provision? Do I really believe that His Word is trustworthy? Do I really believe Him? And do I live like it? There's, you know, I can say I believe it, but am I living like it? So these anchors, that's, that's all application questions from the anchors. 
Is, is his presence an anchor for me? Is his purpose for my life an anchor for me? Is his provision for me an anchor for me? And is his proven reliability and his word being fulfilled something? You know, he says, it's in Joshua, at the end of Joshua, when Joshua's dying, he says, not one word of your promises failed. Not one word of your promises failed. God keeps his word. Yet yeah, it is Joshua 23, 14. Father, thank you for the reminder today that no matter what storm we go through, you're with us. You guide us. We're your servants. And Lord, we don't always lean on you and we're sorry for that. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would be men who would draw near to you. And as we draw near, you would remind us of our purpose, remind us, Lord, that you are there with us no matter what we go through and that we can trust in your proven record throughout time. You keep your word. We love you. Amen.